Hey, this is Daryl with quite an important preamble. Please don't skip. Today's show is my interview with MLS expert Joe Lowry, host of MLS Assist, which you can now find in its own separate feed. Please go subscribe. Get ready for the MLS is back tournament. This interview was recorded on Monday, just before we all got the news that FC Dallas are being withdrawn from the MLS is back tournament. So don't be confused when you hear me talking about being excited to see FC Dallas in action. I was unaware. I was unaware. The other update is that Nashville's first game has been rescheduled. It's been pushed back to make a little extra room because of the positive COVID tests in the Nashville team. Obviously, this is all a developing story and we'll try and keep you updated. But definitely stick around and listen to my interview with Joe. We talk about the players, the teams and the tactics that will be on display at MLS's back. And one more time for those who don't know, if you want daily MLS coverage throughout the MLS's back tournament, go and subscribe to Joe's podcast, MLS Assist. It's produced by the Total Soccer Show. It's co-hosted by Joe Lowry and Jordan Angeli. And it is, I'm going to say, the only place where you'll get tactical analysis of the MLS's back tournament every single day from two MLS experts. Thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. I mean, I would, wouldn't I? But I really, really do. Okay, here's my interview with Joe. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by the co-host of MLS Assist. His name is Joe Lowry. Joe, hello. Hello, Daryl. Thank you very much for having me on. So you're back in our feed, but as a guest, not not as co-host of MLS <laughs> Assist. That's right. It feels good to be back. You know, we, we left and now it's like a homecoming already. I hope you guys didn't already rent out my room because I heard you threatening to do that. <laughs> we just moved some, uh, some excess stuff in there. That's fine. Move any, any equipment. Yeah, the storage room is fine. I'll happily sleep amidst, <laughs> you know, various discarded microphones and all of that. So I want, to, I want to get this out there very clearly for anyone who missed it or who misunderstood or who doesn't know what is going on, right? If you've been listening to Joe and Jordan's MLS Assist in our feed for the past, I want to say six months, um, yeah. and you've been enjoying the MLS coverage that they've been bringing, it's not going to be there anymore. MLS Assist has spun off into its own separate show. You're going to have to go and subscribe to MLS Assist to hear the upcoming episodes. And there are going to be a lot of upcoming episodes. Is that right? <laughs> that is very, very true, Daryl. We're going to have a lot of content coming out, especially during the group stage of this MLS's back tournament. Daily episodes coming out after each day of games, whatever that schedule ends up looking like. And then we will still have shows and reviews and analysis of the knockout round games as the tournament progresses. So have you done the math on like how many shows you're going to be doing in the next month or so? Oh, I haven't. I should. Well, I don't know if that would make me scared or excited or (laughs) I'm torn. Um, I would say, speaking from experience, maybe don't total it up until afterwards. All right. I I won't do the math until much later. Maybe September (laughs) I'll, I'll recover to do the math. Um, so once again, if you want to get all that MLS coverage, MLS Assist, uh, go and find it in your podcast player. It is there and it is ready to subscribe. There's a brand new episode, I believe, coming out very soon, right, Joe? And then the episodes will start rolling July 8th when the MLS is back tournament starts. That's the plan. Yes, sir. Is it going to start? Do you, have <laughs> any, do you have any doubts about MLS is back actually happening? I, I don't think I have doubts about whether or not it will start. Because I do think it's going to start. I, I do have some doubts looking through the haze of 
mystery that is surrounding this tournament. I do have doubts about whether it will look the same as we thought it would at the beginning, right? We've already had matches delayed in the group stage. FC Dallas versus the Vancouver Whitecaps has already been postponed. That game was supposed to happen on Thursday, July 9th. It's been postponed to a later date that we do not know yet. The Orlando Sentinel, I also read, reported that other matches in this tournament are expected to be delayed, potentially including, I think ESPN reported this just to give everyone their due credit, um, potentially including that Nashville versus Chicago game that was supposed to follow the debut game of the tournament on Wednesday. So, I think we are far more likely to see changes and tweaks to the tournament, maybe even teams dropping out if that becomes necessary with Dallas or with Nashville or any other teams that have been hit hard by positive test results. I think we're more likely to see smaller tweaks to the tournament than major cancellations, if that makes sense. Just because we've gone this far already, you know? You just mean scheduling tweaks, basically. Scheduling tweaks, maybe teams dropping out and having to adjust the format of the tournament even possibly, but I don't anticipate... This is from my very outsider perspective. I do not anticipate, if MLS has gone this far, I don't expect them to sort of drop everything and, and admit fault at this point. That doesn't seem yes. like a very MLS thing to do. It's I not guess. the MLS MO, right? Yeah, here's, yeah. Well, here's another bigger picture question before we get into teams and players. Could MLS regret it? Is there any chance mm. that this, this doesn't look good on television? I mean, I'm, I'm even thinking of uh, sort of where they'll be playing and the times they'll be playing. And, you know, maybe the number of tests might be the bigger story than than anything else. Um, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate for the negative version of this. But, I mean, I'm thinking there's a possibility that this might not be a PR win for MLS when all is said and done. And that was the original hope, right? That they could do this in a wise way and, and contain and have all these protocols. And they still do have those things. It's just a matter of them potentially not being as effective as as Major League Soccer had hoped. There is the upside, right? And that was the original desire was to capture attention of yeah. the average American sports fan who probably doesn't watch MLS, right? That is the average American sports fan still in 2020. But then the downside is also so real, Daryl, and that's that's kind of what you're getting at here. If if more and more positive cases are reported, which is kind of how a viral pandemic works, this could end up being a really bad look for the league. You know, cases getting into the bubble and them having a lot of bad publicity related to this tournament, that could sort of take what could have been a really positive momentum-building tournament which is a little bit, I think, what NWSL is experiencing right now, is their tournament doesn't necessarily matter for regular season or for results, but they're getting a lot of good eyes on them. And you guys have talked about that on your show before. MLS, between the bad PR and maybe some different-looking fields on TV, even though ESPN has said that their broadcasts, at least, are going to be pretty souped up, this could end up being a little bit of a hit. And that's not, I think, what the league had hoped for originally. Oh, hit in a bad way, not a not a yeah, hit yeah, in a bad way, like not a, a not like a base hit. No, yeah, no, no, no baseball. <laughs> um, what what will it look like then? Because I know, for example, the NWSL Challenge Cup, even though it's on turf, it looks pretty good because it's in that stadium in Utah. Um, yeah. Do you have a picture in your head of, of what the ESPN uh, is? It the World Wide Wide World of Sports Complex? What what does it look like? What will this look like on the field? Will it be in a stadium? So, will it be on a field? I went and did some deep dive Google satellite map research nice. earlier today, actually. Um, and it looks sort of like uh, sort of a boosted, a little bit fancier club field environment, like youth soccer. You're going in and they've got the fields adjoined to each other. That's at least part of it. They have a number of different football or soccer fields there that I assume are multi-purpose. They have some that are together and like sort of back to back where if you stood in between, you could pivot your head and watch both games almost at the same time. They also do have some stadiums or some fields rather, let me be clear on that, by themselves. So either way, though, we're looking at not a lot of stands. I'm not sure there's any real 
seats, which is good because there's no fans, so that's not a huge problem. But yeah. it's going to look strange on TV one way or the other. It looked to me like grass. There were a lot of fields there. I don't know which ones they will be using. But the on-field picture of, of what we see on TV is going to look probably different than anything we've seen, including the, the European games and the NWSL games being back. So they're going to have to dress up the surroundings of the field, basically, right? Because with a stadium, even though it's an empty stadium, you at least can do what teams have been doing in the Bundesliga or the Premier League, you know, with banners and this and that. Yeah. And you have the seats to place them over. I'm re- I don't expect you to know because we haven't seen this yet, right? But I'm really curious to see what MLS will do to stop it looking like, like here's a game being played on a, on a field with no surroundings. I mean, I read a piece by Kevin Baxter, I believe, of the Los Angeles Times, and he had interviewed someone on the production side of these broadcasts. And it it seems like there's going to be a lot of innovative things that they bring to the table, green screen elements and interactive and a lot of cameras and and microphones. And it it does seem like the broadcast, at least, not necessarily the on-field visual, but the, the broadcast could be really interesting and something that we haven't seen or heard before i don't know i'm, I'm interested to see oh, that so theoretically the players could just be seeing a green screen but the broadcast will have something projected or however it works like cgi'd on, onto the green screen potentially we could see that maybe at like one end of the field or the other you know like picture in the dortmund stadium right they have that really tall angled supporter section yeah. maybe we see something on an end or something on the far side of the field where it's like virtual advertising boards or maybe we just see physical ones um i don't know but we're gonna see different things at okay. least that i am sure of i am at least curious to see this now i'm, I'm interested in i'm interested in the setup i'm also interested in how enthusiastic the players will be to be there um i saw uh, the aforementioned kevin baxter reported what maybe an hour ago that yeah. carlos vela definitely not getting on that plane Right, he is not traveling <laughs> with LA, LAFC. He is, you know, by a lot of measures, probably the best player in the league. I believe he's the MVP, right? Um, so uh, Carlos Vela not being there, I think, is a big example of high-profile players essentially not taking part in this tournament, right? And Vela had a reason. I think his wife is pregnant. Is that correct? Correct. Yep, that's correct. Um, do you know of any other high-profile players that definitely will not be there? So we're not going to see Carlos Vela, as you mentioned. We're not going to see Jonah Dos Santos for the Galaxy. I believe that is due to injury and not due to any you know, family circumstances or concern. We're also not going to see Leandro Gonzalez-Pirez, who just came into the league with oh. Inter-Miami, because he's a TAM player, and that's a really strange MLS rule that they've had. I know Paul McDonough wasn't happy about that down in Miami, that they're not allowing TAM signings that have just come into the league during this two-day transfer window that they had earlier in July. MLS is not allowing those new guys at the TAM threshold to play. So there are probably more players that I missed. Ike Opara is another one, actually. I don't believe he's playing for Minnesota United because I'm actually not sure why. I don't know if it's an injury or, or a personal reason, but I there actually, are guys I, that are going to be missing. I googled this just before we, we started recording, and there was, um, Ike Opara on Twitter was saying something about rehabbing um, from some sort of injury. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, so that's actually not that many names missing then. Right? No, it I mean, it's like maybe not. most teams will be full, close to full strength. And you know what? LAFC losing a player is <laughs> okay. not bad for the competitive balance of the tournament. <laughs> yeah, it just means we're going to see more Diego Rossi and Brian Rodriguez. Yeah. But no, I mean, we don't. I'm not sure we still know which players are and aren't going to be eligible. I mean, Jordan and I talked about this on MLS Assist. Between players staying home and, and MLS rules and regulations and injuries and positive cases, right? Like, how, how are these teams going to deal with and adjust when they have a player test positive or if they have a player test positive 
I mean, they're going to be missing that player potentially for a game. So there are, there are lineup adjustments and tweaks that we might not expect that are brought about by necessity because of the coronavirus, right? Or maybe that's all in my head. I don't know. But that seems like another wrinkle to to the player availability thing, right? I don't yeah. know. And that, but that'll be stuff we won't know probably until until things get underway. But that is in two days, right? So it could <laughs> things things could happen pretty quickly. Um, the other thing I want to ask about in big picture kind of way is, it seems to me from what various players have been tweeting that there are definitely some players who aren't that keen to be there. Um, and I'm wondering if you've got a sense from what you've been reading or anything you've heard about, you know, the general level of enthusiasm from the players to to play in this tournament. I think it's a mixed bag, right? I think it's probably, let's say we have two bags, right? I think the bag with players who have been vocal and understandably vocal, I don't want to, you know, to harp on this in any way, but who have been vocal about on Twitter, the difficulties associated with being here and and in in Orlando in in quarantine for a lot of times and not training. We're hearing a lot of that. CJ Sapong tweeted something about um, how difficult this is and how the, the shut up and kick narrative would be dispelled if people really understood what it was like to be there. And Diego Rubio tweeted something about how they, you know, he had heard something from another player that they weren't even sure if they were going to be able to get food in that. I mean, it's just a really difficult, it's a logistical nightmare. It's a difficult time for players. But then we've also heard Tommy Thompson and another San Jose Earthquakes player talk about how they feel, they feel fine and they feel safe and they feel comfortable. So to answer that question, I think it really does depend on the individual. I think this is a hard situation, um, and there are definitely guys who are justifiably anxious about the bubble and anxious about coronavirus and about having to go play in these weird circumstances. And there are probably also guys who are just genuinely excited to play soccer. Right. And I think maybe both of those things are okay. Like, the, the feeling anxious is definitely okay. And I'm sure, I mean, I would probably be at least a little excited to play soccer after months of not playing a game. So it is such a weird double-edged sword, two-sided coin kind of thing where both viewpoints are are reasonable. I kind of wish MLS had pretty much done what NWSL did, which is to just say, if you don't want to play, don't worry. We'll pay your salary. You don't have to come and play. I would have, I would have liked to when I when I watched this tournament on July eighth and, and onwards, I would like to know that everyone there is a hundred percent there of their own volition, and no one is basically doing it because they won't be getting a paycheck if they if they don't do it. I it it would remove the sort of ethical dilemma of me watching the games. That's from a very sort of personal it really would I guess, but I get I think that would be a better situation all around for Major League Soccer if the players were there just because they wanted to be there and not because they've been financially coerced into it. Yeah, that would be ideal. I mean, this is a really difficult and challenging, not only a time like globally, but also this very specific small aspect of the pandemic, this MLS's back tournament. It is sort of ethically challenging to think about. And this is something that I've had to think about and that Jordan Angeli and I have talked about with MLS Assist and the covers that we're, we're hoping to provide. It's a challenging thing. And we don't want to gloss over the coronavirus thing that is still very, very real but we also, you know, we want to enjoy the soccer, and it yeah. is hard, Daryl, like you're saying, to have sort of those question marks associated with this tournament. But I'm really afraid that those aren't going away, especially not anytime soon. I'm also going to guess that it's going to, if you're just analyzing the games, it's going to play a part in how the games go, right? Like, I can imagine if you're not, if you're a player who's not keen to be there, and just because CJ Sapong tweeted and Diego Rubio tweeted, it doesn't mean that they're the only guys, right? I imagine right. this is, a, like, like you said, maybe there are, uh, two bags but I, I imagine both bags are pretty big <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are going to be like teams that maybe as a team are like not that keen to be there I wouldn't be surprised if some teams underperform compared to what we would normally expect from them based on what we know about a regular 
Major League Soccer season. So I guess what the thing I'd ask you or put to you is, does that make your job harder to analyze the games because there's this extra weird factor to consider? Absolutely. This is going to be a really strange tournament to analyze, not only because tournaments are weird anyway, like the soccer that they provide is strange playoffs or you know tournaments, World Cups, whatever it is, provide weird soccer sort of naturally. But yeah, between all the question marks that you and I have already gone over and between rotations and games quickly and at weird times yeah. of the day and, and players not being available and general unknowns about which guys might be available from game to game or like is half of FC Dallas going to... Well, okay, that's an exaggeration and maybe that's not the best idea. But are a lot of FC Dallas players going to be available? Who Who's there? Who isn't? How are coaches going to rotate? There are so many more questions to deal with and to think about as we're watching these games, especially from that sort of tactical perspective. There are way more of those now than I think there ever have been in MLS before, and that definitely does make the task a little bit more challenging. <laughs> hey, this is Daryl cutting in with an ad break. When we get back, Joe's going to be talking about his favorite team, or at least the team he's most curious to see at MLS's back. Today's show is sponsored by Artifact. You might have heard Taylor talk about Artifact on yesterday's show. Artifact is personal podcasts with the people in your life. It's a new company and one of the guys involved is the George Qureshi, our friend, formerly of The Athletic, formerly of Howler. Basically, if you or someone you know wants to have an audio record of something important to them, Artifact is the way to make that happen. And because, you know, I love getting free samples from advertisers, uh, my wife and I recently sat down and we created an artifact all about my cancer diagnosis and treatment. I say we did it. What really happens is someone from Artifact, in this case, it was George Qureshi himself, sets it all up. All the scheduling is arranged by, in this case, George. Um, George asks us questions, guides the conversation, gets all the audio and then edits it so it really does sound like something that would not sound out of place on NPR. It sounds like a really high-quality podcast. And I should know because I'm very persnickety about high-quality podcasting. For me, it was really eye-opening and fulfilling to have my wife, Shannon, involved in you know telling the story of cancer diagnosis and treatment because I realized I've talked about it a lot on the Total Soccer Show, but she and I have never sat down and talked about it into microphones before. But we did do that with Artifact. Here's a very short clip um, of Shannon relaying a little bit of her experience. I hadn't thought about Daryl's colon that much in my life and then we're deciding, should we just get rid of the whole thing? Spoiler alert, we kept most of it. If you want to hear the whole thing, and it is really well put together by George and the guys at Artifact, go to heyartifact.com slash Daryl. The link will be in the show notes. And if you want to make an artifact of your own, obviously you head to heyartifact.com. That link will also be in the show notes. Um, and you can get $40 off your first artifact with the code TSS. That's $40 off your first artifact with the code TSS. Okay, let's get back to the interview. I believe I'm about to ask Joe about the teams he's looking forward to seeing. Again, you're probably going to hear me talk about FC Dallas sometime in the next 15 minutes. Worth reminding everybody that after this interview was recorded, we got the news that FC Dallas has been withdrawn from MLS's back. So when this all kicks off, which team are you most curious, shall we say, to see? Which team are you most interested in seeing on the field in this slightly odd MLS's back situation? Oh, man. It's 
Oh, I'm not going to say all of them because there are like <laughs> each team I can find an angle and I, I could find something about. <laughs> all my children, which I are my won't favorite. do. All my children are my favorite. That's exactly right. A few just off the top of my head, right? FC Cincinnati. They actually have a new head coach, Yap Stam, coming in uh, after you know the Ron Yans and then Johan Demay as interim and that whole situation in Cincinnati. So how they're going to set up? Presumably in a four-three-three, but the details of that and how the team is going to play under their new coach. Very interested to see that. The the expansion teams as well, right? We saw two games of them, of Nashville mm-hmm. and Miami. We still don't really know anything about how they're going to play. But if I had to give one, and that's really is what you asked me, so I'm finally getting there. Yeah. Um, it's the Colorado Rapids for me still. They've become my, my, my favorite child, I guess, to continue that <laughs> metaphor, over the last you know half a year, maybe since Robin Frazier came over from Toronto. What specifically about the Rapids do you, do you like watching? So, first of all, we've got the American angle, which I think yeah. is something that, that you and, and Taylor and fans at large will largely appreciate. Yeah. With Sam Vines at left back and Robin Frazier, an American you know, head coach. Mm-hmm. So I love that, right? I love Sam Vines as a player, um, his ability to move inside and his ability to pass the ball well and to switch the point of attack and to move forward. He's a, a lockdown 1v1 defender. Yeah, his, re- I'm not his sure refusal to bite on any moves is my yeah. favorite thing I've ever seen. He's just not he, interested in your stepovers, right? He'll let he's you do not. Them, then he'll tackle you. He will, he will let you get all your tricks out of the bag and then come in and take the ball from you and move up the field. Like he, he is a defender like I don't think we've seen in the U.S. player pool in a while. Yeah. But moving past Vines and, and more overall, I really like how Robin Frazier has this team playing. They want to have the ball. They want to move it forward, ideally into Eunice Namli, a playmaker that they brought over from Europe this offseason. Um, a really dynamic guy, great with the ball, really shifty, able to turn and check his shoulder and, and move quickly into pockets of space, take a directional first touch. He checks all the boxes. He is a modern number 10 who can also slide down to play as sort of a, an attacking number 8, which is what we see a lot with Man City and things like that. But they want to play, the Rapids want to play with the ball and to move it into Namli and to have him connect with Kai Kamara. And I just think the way that they, they attack especially is very, very interesting to me. And I, I just enjoyed watching the Rapids under Robin Frazier. Okay, I am now looking forward to watching the Rapids as well then. Um, outside of teams, are there any players you're particularly um, keen to to you know see in action? Obviously, Namli. I, I know you're a big Namli fan. Um, <laughs> is there anyone outside of Namli that you're interested in seeing? I think uh, Christian Pavon is a big one, number one. He is, without Carlos Vela in this tournament, he is the best player in MLS. Um, right. And he might have already been that without with Carlos Vela in the pool but with him not traveling to Orlando. Christian Pavon is the best player at this tournament. Left winger for the Galaxy. Great right foot. Um, he can cut inside, beat you 1v1, beat you 1v2. Um, it doesn't matter. He was, <laughs> uh, he was ridiculous. Um, and then one other guy is Brendan Aronson for the Union. We've seen a lot of Paxton Pomichol for FC Dallas, and Aronson is kind of another young, up-and-coming American midfielder who's playing on the attacking end of things as the number 10 in Jim Curtin's 442 diamond with the union. Yeah. And Aronson, Jordan likes to call him slippery, right? He's he's very <laughs> shifty with his movement, both when he presses and when he has the ball to attack. I, I enjoy watching Brendan Aronson. And then you've also got that American men's national team angle as well. Yeah, do you feel like maybe Brendan Aronson gets left out of the conversation a little bit when we talk about all the um, hype-worthy up-and-coming players? I, I just don't hear his name as often as I hear other names. And every time I see him, I'm sort of like... Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm all in on this guy. He weirdly does get left out, and I don't know if that's because he's not an FC Dallas player, um, and, and and that sort of limits the amount of attention that he gets just because he's not playing under Luchi Gonzalez in this youth movement in Texas. 
but he is he deserves the attention. He, he got that start on, against Costa Rica back in the February January camp game earlier yeah. this year, and he he performed. It was a mixed bag, I think, from Aronson, but he performed largely well in that game. He's got great energy. He's still developing with his on-ball skills, but Aronson is completely a guy to watch, not only in this tournament, but also in terms of his career trajectory from this point. And then we've got to talk about the weather. I know that they're going to play at, what, 9 a.m. and 10 p.m. Eastern. It's still going to be hot. It's still going to be humid in Orlando. And my experience of Florida is there are going to be thunderstorms as well, right? Those thunderstorms roll through. I think that's going to play a huge role in this because there are not not many teams are really used to those conditions. Do you think there's a team that is um, best suited and maybe um, most ill suited <laughs> to play in these Orlando conditions? I think I think maybe a team that's best suited is Houston. Right, a lot of teams, a lot of players, ex MLS players, current MLS players have talked about how going to play the Houston Dynamo in Houston is just an awful experience because the weather is terrible. It's oppressive heat and really humid there. I think Houston is one of the most, you know, one of the highest humidity cities in the United States, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, so if there's a team that's prepared, I mean, other than Orlando, probably, or, or Miami, I guess, it's probably the Houston Dynamo to actually not keel over and, and, and pass out because it's just so hot. <laughs> and hopefully that's mitigated by, you know, the different game times and things like that. But they might be well adjusted, and then a team that maybe wouldn't do so well. I'm, I'm just thinking about San Jose, not because of the geography necessarily, but because of what Mateus Almeida has them oh, doing. Yes, you know, like you know what I mean. They yeah. they're running around a lot, not all the time. They don't press, they don't man mark rather from you know box to box. They tend to to draw the opposing team forward a little bit and build up and then go. But that's a lot of running. That's a lot more movement, it seems to me at least, than sitting in a 4-4-2 block, you know, mid-block or low block, whatever. Running around like madmen, which is, I think, how Almeida would actually enjoy his system being described. That's really <laughs> taxing physically, and that's going to take a lot out of those guys from San Jose. Do you predict that he still does it? Or is it, is it possible he'll rethink the whole thing? Oh, man, that would be a, a crazy wrinkle if they did that. I'm just thinking this through. If if San Jose changed the system and Almeida just said, we're going to throw a wild card at the, all the teams that have prepped for us in this tournament, like all the poor video analysts who spent time <laughs> you know, sitting down, like pouring through clips on Scout of this man marking it and breaking it down, and then he comes out in a, in a zonal block and everyone's just like, what, what happened? But no, I really don't think that's going to happen, Daryl, just because especially dating back to his time at Chivas, this is just who Mateus Almeida is. I think yes. this is how he thinks soccer should be played. Yeah. Um, like Bobby Warshaw will talk about the only way to play soccer is to play like how, how Bob Bradley plays in L.A., where you're passing the ball forward and moving off the ball, the positional play that you broke down on Soccer 101 not too long ago. A lot of people think that's the only way. Jesse Marsh thinks the only way to play soccer is to play this direct pressure quick combination play direct into the attack that's what jesse Mar- jesse marsh rather thinks soccer should look like i it think Almeida thinks it works in austria just fine and maybe one day we're going to see it in the bundesliga in europe and, and maybe with the national team but i think almeida thinks that soccer his soccer at the very least is man marking through and through it so I, I would not expect to change but i could totally be wrong and it's it has happened before maybe maybe a tweak Maybe there is just maybe hmm. they only do it in certain moments. Maybe they find ways to conserve energy and and then you know switch down a gear and then switch it back up a gear. There's, there might be a way where he could just tinker with it a little bit, right, so that it's not too much of an ask in the heat well, and humidity and thunderstorms. And yeah, if you'll indulge me, I, I think we can think this through, right? So yeah. the way San Jose for listeners, if they're not familiar, the way they play is they will essentially 
in most situations, they will leave one center back, one of their center backs free at the back as sort of the, the cleanup man. He's the janitor on top of, you know, fixing any mistakes and cleaning up things. And then their other nine outfield players will mark everybody but one of the opposing center backs. So they'll go man for man. The striker will usually pick one of the, will pick one of the center backs if the other team is playing with four, four defenders across the back line. And then the other eight outfield players after the striker will match up man for man, fullbacks on wingers and wingers on fullbacks and midfielders on midfielders. If you can sort of overlay those two lineups in your head, but they don't engage that press. Like I was talking about earlier, that man marking action until the ball most often is forward, like midway in the defensive half for the team that's building up. So Maybe you're right, Daryl. Maybe we see the earthquake start that pressure even a little lower on the field in certain moments or, or switch on and off. And maybe they, they man mark one play and they sort of fake man mark the next play and like, <laughs> and they make the other team think that's what they're doing, but they fall back into a really strange zonal thing. Like there are options here. You're so right about that. I look forward to fake man marking. That could be the tactical <laughs> innovation that comes out of Orlando. If that happens, it'll all be worth it. It will, sure. it will all be worth it. <laughs> um, one thing that teams have, um, I assume, I actually haven't double-checked this, I'm just assuming that MLS is back, will be doing the five-sub rule that has had, we've seen correct. in yep, Europe. Is, correct. is there a team that benefits from that, either in terms of playing style or squad depth even? Like, you know, someone who has a nice deep roster? Yeah, I love that you, you brought out both sides of that issue, right? That's a really smart question because you've got the depth, right? And teams like LAFC and NYCFC, are the two that I think of most as, as top in depth in the, in the Western Conference and in the Eastern Conference, respectively. Right? Their benches are deep. They've got young talent to bring up that is competitive and ready to play first-team minutes. So those two teams are going to benefit because the, the distance between their first 11 and their, you know, their bench, their eight guys on the bench or whatever it is, is not as far as it is for the rest of the league. Okay. Like for a team like, uh, I don't know, Minnesota United or Portland. I mean, not to pick on those guys, but just teams that don't have as much talent, right? That's the reality. Yeah. That's half of the equation. But then the other half that you mentioned, Daryl, is playing style. And I think the Red Bulls actually have, and maybe even San Jose could be in this category too, if they're not panting from heat exhaustion. (laughs) The Red Bulls pressing style under Chris Armas is a little bit more conservative, I've seen at least, than Jesse Marsh. But the principles are the same. They want to have all 11 guys, and that includes the goalkeeper, be moving as a unit when they're playing without the ball to move and to trap the ball and then to go forward quickly. I think that style of play lends itself better to a, a, a guy coming right off the bench and playing a second half without missing a beat. I think that lends itself a lot better than a pass-and-move possession sort of style because then you need rhythm, you need touches, you need movement, you need time to settle into the game. But if you're pressing, like you can run, sprint to close someone down, take the ball and run in a straight line with little buildup. At least that's my perception. So I think, especially the Red Bulls, but maybe other teams that play that sort of pressing style that's more vertical and more without the ball, maybe those teams have an advantage to just rotate guys in off the bench and use all five subs without missing a beat. I feel like I've sort of lost the thread of the MLS narrative, but am I right in thinking Chris Armas was somewhat under pressure as well? So he could do with a good tournament. Yeah, I mean, the, the down, the dip, I guess, between Jesse Marsh's time there that was so successful and, you know, a really one of the best coaching tenures in a team in MLS history, to me at least. And then Chris Armas kind of didn't have that. He didn't carry the momentum all the way through in his first full season following Marsh's departure. So, yes, good results for Chris Armas in a strong showing in this tournament. Obviously not bad for any coach, but for someone who's still in Jesse Marsh's shadow, 
that would be great for Chris Armas. And I'm sure he would tell you that he would be thrilled mm-hmm. to have an excellent MLS's back tournament and to have his players really playing and, and executing the style that he wants from them. I've just realized one player I didn't ask you about, and you and I have talked about in the past, is Chicharito. Um, you mentioned Pavan, his teammate. Uh, I assume, I think Chicharito's going to be there, right? He's going to be playing? That's the expectation. We haven't heard otherwise. Okay, so, so that's, that's the assumption I'm operating under still. Okay, so assuming he goes, um, do you expect Chicharito to sort of have things more figured out? Or do, maybe to put it another way, do you expect the LA Galaxy to have things more figured out to be able to put Chicharito in good positions? I've said this about other players before, but I really hope that either Christian Pavon and Javier Hernandez were roommates during this time or <laughs> that they just, you know, texted and FaceTimed every day and, and watched film to go over how they can be most effective in the attack because we didn't see it in the first couple of weeks. And that's I don't think that's on the players. I do think that's more with the style that Guillermo Baracheloto has chosen with the Galaxy, which is heavy on crosses, heavy on you know transition, and then we're going to play the ball into the box for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But now there's no Zlatan Ibrahimovic, yeah. right? I mean, Javier Hernandez is not the same player. Chicharito is not the same player as Ibrahimovic. They're different heights, first of all, which has a big <laughs> effect on the box. And they just have different skill sets, right? Chicharito has always thrived on moving and making those, those forward runs that we expect from a, an in-the-box number nine, right? Yeah. That's my perception of Javier Hernandez is he's that in-the-box player who's going to confuse the center backs and get a sliver of space and tap the ball in. Yeah. He can do a lot more. But figuring out how to get Chicharito into his system in an effective way, I think should have been and hopefully was Guillermo Barcelotto's biggest task for this in-season, off-season kind of break that we've had. Um, hopefully they, they figured that out and they've had discussions and had maybe a little time to implement in training some different patterns and some different principles that will allow Chicharito to thrive instead of sort of being an afterthought, which he, he really was in the first couple of games. Does he sort of theoretically connect well with Pavan? Like, do their two games intersect in a way that should be successful? I think so, yes. I think Pavon is, I think they're both good enough and their, their styles don't like completely not go. Like Pavon isn't this head down, I'm always going to dribble and I'm not going to pass kind of guy um, that that would harm Chicharito's game. I think they have complementary skills and that they're both skilled offensive players. They both know where to move. They played at high levels before. They have a good pace of play. They could combine if Chicharito drifts wide or Pavon underlaps because he plays as an inverted winger on that left side. At least that's where we saw him with the Galaxy so far in his time in LA. So I think there are lots of chances for them, for those two guys to really dominate opposing defenders individually if they can if they can find ways to go 2v1 against the center back or things like that we saw flashes of that in the in the first couple of weeks but there's really no excuse and no reason other than okay that's a really poor way to phrase this because there are a lot of excuses in this tournament <laughs> but if this was a normal soccer time in a normal world yeah this much time should have been time for Barcelona, Chicharito, Pavon to sit down have a conversation and get those guys firing on all cylinders Hey, this is Daryl jumping in with another ad break. Atlanta United fans, don't worry. After this ad break, we'll be talking about your team, specifically what happens without Joseph Martinez. Joe has a couple ideas. Today's show is sponsored by Hims, And if you're a long-time listener, then you'll know the statistic that 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. It is nothing to be ashamed of. And it's happening to the majority of us. But if you do want to do something about it, then HIMS can help. 
And you don't even have to go and do an awkward in-person doctor's visit. You don't have to wait in a long pharmacy line. Hims connects you to licensed medical professionals online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. You answer a few quick questions, a medical professional will review, and if they determine it's right for you, they can prescribe you medication to treat your hair loss that is shipped directly to your door. And to sweeten the pot, Hims has their best offer ever. If you're not happy with your results after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. Right now, you can get your first visit absolutely free. Go to forhims.com slash total soccer. That's forhims.com slash total soccer. The link will be in the show notes. Here's the disclaimer full refund of price paid available for first 90 days supply. Refund request must be made between 90 and 180 days after product shipment delivered. Prescription products require an online consultation with a medical professional who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply see website for full details and important safety information and one more time to take advantage of this offer it's forhims.com slash total soccer the link will be in the show notes okay back to my interview with joe larry all right i've got a couple more questions i want to ask joe that are a little bit random just based on uh, a few things that i am uh, not up to speed with in major league soccer um so so prepare yourself um, i'm ready atlanta united Joseph Martinez is still injured. What are Atlanta United doing in terms of, you know, strikers, basically? Oh, wouldn't we love to know? Um, I think at this point, we saw a little bit of Adam John, former Phoenix Rising standout Adam John, in in addition to other USL and MLS locations. But (laughs) Adam John moving back to Atlanta United over the offseason, he got minutes against FC Cincinnati, especially um, before we took the break. And... To me, they haven't brought in, at least that I've seen, and maybe I've completely spaced something, but I have not seen Atlanta United bring in another number nine. And, and likely the type of player they would want to bring in would be at that TAM threshold, and we wouldn't be able to see him anyway. So we're looking at some very interesting combinations. Frank DeBoer doesn't seem to like Tito Vialba, so he would be a logical player as that number nine. He's got the speed almost similar to Diego Rossi in terms of profile. Um, Rossi is just a little bit of a higher career trajectory moving forward. But... Vialba doesn't seem to be factoring in a whole lot at that number nine spot. So maybe we see, you know, another guy that, that we haven't seen as a number nine move forward. One of the wingbacks step high or, or I don't think we're going to see Pitti Martinez or Barco as a front two. Um, but it's not impossible, I guess. One other, one other guy, as I'm sort of rambling through options here, is yeah. I believe it's Tyler Wolf, Josh Wolf's son. Oh, wow. Um, he just recently moved to Atlanta into to that system after spending time in Ohio, I believe, with the Columbus Cruise Academy. He is now a part of Atlanta United's first-team roster and has gotten some positive reviews from different players on the senior team and and reporting, and and it does seem like he is on the up-and-up. And I believe Frank DeBoer said it, or Felipe Cardenas reported it, that we're going to see Tyler Wolf in these games. Ooh. So I think he's a number nine. I've never watched a single second of Tyler Wolf play soccer. But that is another name, especially with the American... Um, with his nationality as well, to watch in this tournament. I wish I was more logical and didn't get excited about the offspring of (laughs) former US men's national team players, but you can't help thinking, like, what if we have another Josh Wolf on our hands, right? And it worked with uh, Claudio and Gio, so there's no reason that we can't keep that pattern going. (laughs) What about uh, George Bello? Do we know where we're at with George Bello? I believe he's healthy. Okay. Um, We should be seeing George Bello in this tournament, barring unforeseen circumstances. So keep an eye out for Bello potentially at left back or left wing back. 
All right. And then in terms of other U.S. men's national team or future U.S. men's national team players, um, obviously I always looked at FC Dallas because Pomacal, because Jesus Ferreira, Brandon Savania, um, and, and many more, Reggie Cannon, obviously. Um, are there any other teams or, or even like young up-and-coming players that you'll be looking out for in this tournament? We've already talked about Brendan Aronson, for example. Right. Um, I, I, let's start with FC Dallas, just because that's yeah. where you started. Again, disclaimer of they've had positive cases. We don't know what their roster is going to look like. Mm-hmm. But if, if FC Dallas is at full strength, which seems very unlikely, Tanner Tessman is a guy to watch for them. He started the first couple of games with Pomichol out and, and sort of rehabbing an injury. And, and Pomichol did come on and play at the end of, I believe, their second game of the season. But Tanner Tessman started both of those games as the more advanced half of a double pivot in a 4-2-3-1 Showed pretty well. Um, he's a young guy. I believe he's 18 years old. Central midfielder, big guy. Really big, tall player. Almost uh, kicked for Clemson as a, as a you know, place kicker in college football. Really good athlete. Good feet. So he's got a weird, weirdly great combination of skills. A really unique combination, at least. So I'm going to be hoping to see him in this tournament and watching him. What? And then can, moving... Before you move on, can you explain yeah. the Tanner Tessman hype to me? Like I've, So I've watched <laughs> footage of him. And I understand he looks like a, a really good young player for all the reasons you just mentioned. But is the fact is it the fact that he was gonna play college football and instead chose soccer? Is that the reason for the extra hype around him? Maybe the extra hype, yeah. Um, I think that was sort of the angle that we saw a lot of. And this is I'm not trying to take shots here, but like that is a logical narrative to talk, like to touch on, right? And I've even talked about it already. It is a, a rare thing. And so people do naturally latch onto that, myself included. But I mean, I talked to Gonzalez. Soccer, you mean? It's a it's a rare thing just to have a guy maybe going to a really high profile college to play college football for a team that's won national championships and then move oh, okay. yes. to play with FC Dallas. Like it's just a very strange system, right? So that's I mean, the part he, I'm missing is uh, like Clemson football is a big deal, and I maybe didn't. I guess so. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess, but it's also like it's a really strange development path to have a, a really high level multi sport athlete. That's that's not super common nowadays, especially. And then just his build that I kind of talked about is really unique. Like Keaton Parks is kind of the the closest thing as far as tall, skinny. But I mean, I'm sure if Tanner Tessimo was in a room next to me right now, I wouldn't <laughs> think he was so skinny. But tall, <laughs> really long legs. We also wouldn't think he was so tall. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> a tall, a tall guy like Tanner Tessman, who's a really unique-looking soccer player, um, who also has really good feet and quickness. I mean, Luchi Gonzalez told me in an interview that I did with him that Tessman is just such a unique athlete and how yeah. he moves and how he's able to move for his frame. So that's the other part of it. That's the other part of the puzzle that I think has contributed to the Tanner Tessman hype. I see. So it's like a big guy with a lot of balance and grace and the things that you don't expect from big guys. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's right. that's my Dallas. If if you'll indulge me really quick, NYCFC oh, yeah. is the other one. Um, Tavon Gray is a guy to watch for NYCFC. A, a sort of right back, central midfielder, center back hybrid. Um, not a Tyler Adams carbon copy from across the New York New Jersey area. Even though <laughs> I said right back and defensive midfielder, but a guy who is likely to get minutes in this tournament as well that we've seen with the U17s and we haven't seen before, to my knowledge at least, with NYCFC in any sort of semi meaningful competition. So just a guy that we can get more data points on that seems to have a high profile that a lot of people in New York especially seem to rate. Yeah, okay, and that's a big part of this tournament, right? Is probably teams will use more of their roster. So that means we'll see more of guys like Tavon Gray. If you've got a pulse, you're going to play. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not like, you know, if you're sick and you have a pulse, like we're still going to put you out there. But if yeah. you're a, a healthy body that is not 
ordinarily in line to get minutes, you're yeah. probably going to get those minutes. In if you're turn. COVID negative, you're going to play. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Any, anyone else? Like James Sands, for example, is the name that comes to mind for NYCFC yeah. for me. I'm I'm a big James Sands fan, which is a bit of a tongue twister. But his his ability to move back and forth from defensive midfielder to center back. I think Ronnie Dyla likes him more as a center back, which probably works well because NYCFC have a lot of central midfield depth without Sands in the picture. Right. But he's another really versatile guy, solid, good defensively. Like we talked about Vines earlier with his one v one defending. Sands is a tough athletic defender with also some foot skills. So another good combination and a guy to watch for NYCFC as well. That's a really good a really good one, Daryl. All right. Um, I want to close, Joe, by asking you a little bit about MLS Assist. So obviously Taylor and I have been involved a little bit behind the scenes. And, you know, a little we, bit. <laughs> we've, we've bounced ideas back and forth and like suggested this and that. But I'm also really aware that I'm, I'm sure there have been loads of conversations of just you and Jordan working things out, right? And if, if people haven't heard the show yet somehow, like I'm honestly really... Uh, amazed and impressed at how quickly you guys have sort of got it down like you have a rapport and i feel like you've uh you're hosting it in a way that feels really natural and really really quick so um i'm not i'm not just like layering praise on you just to do it i'm i'm more interested in the learning process and sort of the types of things that maybe what have you figured out basically over the last few months i'm really interested in how this is how this has occurred yeah so we started and Jordan had done some podcasting and some some TV work, most importantly. So she's she knows what she's doing more so than I do, I think, or, or more so than I did. And so I started with a blank slate completely. No no editing knowledge, no hosting knowledge, no real analysis, like audio analysis. It's such a different world than typing thoughts out on a piece of paper. Well, okay, I'm not from the 40s, but like typing <laughs> something out, you know, um, typing something out like on a computer to to be posted and to be edited. It's such a different world. And so I, I had to learn so much about how to do all of those things. And I'm thankful for your guys' assistance and help and guidance on so many of those things. Even just like how to have that rapport with Jordan. Like we had phone calls back when this thing first started, when we were setting this up. I mean, in 2019, she and I had a number of conversations on the phone just to see if we had any, any chemistry, any rapport as individuals, right? Because yeah. that is such a, such a thing that makes your show and your interactions with Taylor so good is is your chemistry and your rapport together it's like it's almost as if you guys are friends right um <laughs> it, it shows and so that is still developing jordan and i are still getting to know each other and getting to understand how we work and how how she she approaches soccer and how i approach soccer and how she approaches podcasting and how i do the same thing so we're learning all of those things but that was a huge first step back before sort of we really it got real, I guess, back before it got real. And we were still exploring this idea and, and talking with you guys about conceptualizing it and, yeah. and what it would look like. Having conversations, I just remember pacing around a room, walking in circles, because I do that when I'm on the phone for some reason. <laughs> um, just walking around the room and having conversations about her background and how she she sees the sport and how you know learning that she played so many different positions over her professional and collegiate career was awesome because that has formed her view of the game. And that has really helped her ability to analyze things from so many different angles. And that's become invaluable for us and how we analyze things and her own process and how that complements mine. Just learning those details along the way, in addition to, to learning how to actually host and analyze at the same time, which is so hard. And I never realized that. And that's another thing that you guys do really well. You make it seem easy. And I thought it was going to be. And it's not. <laughs> I, the, thing, the thing I feel like you figured out, and the thing I think is the secret to good hosting, I'm happy to share this with everybody if they want to you know, start their own podcast, is 
to not get too hung up on just moving on to the next topic. Like, mm. I would bet if... I don't think I've done this consciously, but if you go back and listen to this, we probably switched between topics that were completely unrelated um, because I just asked you about something that was completely unrelated, right? But you don't yeah. you don't need to like b- spend all the time building a massive bridge between topics. If you just start talking about a new thing, if it's interesting, then the audience goes with you because it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I remember at the very start, I would try to go and do these like transitions that seem logical to me. And sometimes I'm not sure if we have, I think we had this conversation, Daryl, like just go to the next thing, right? Yeah. Go to something that you think is interesting. You don't need to always like explain in, in 20 steps how you got there or why you're moving from one thing to the next thing. Just ask and talk about things that you think are interesting. And that probably means that other people think they're interesting too. <laughs> and I think you nailed it. It's the difference between writing and uh, speaking, basically. If you, yeah. if you were to write things out, things do have to connect, right? Otherwise, it feels like there's like some weird paragraph missing. Or you've made some massive jump, and the and the reader like gets shocked, like what? what how did we get here? Um, I think maybe that's the difference between uh, the written word and the spoken word. One hundred percent. It's it's a completely different medium, and I was not ready for that. Probably I was a little blindsided, but I think I think we're learning. We're getting better. We're definitely we've definitely improved at the very least from episode one to like I mean episode twenty four or something like that. That should be coming out soon, or may have already come out based off of the time of recording. But we have come a long way, done a lot of episodes, a lot of uh, Google Docs and going back and forth and watching <laughs> watching not quite as many games as we'd like, but also a lot of games either way. Um, and we're excited for the coverage of this tournament and excited for the partnership with The Athletic that we have throughout this tournament yeah. and, and just really enjoying the process of analyzing games and, and getting to talk about soccer. So one more time, if people um, want to get all your MLS coverage uh, throughout MLS's back and beyond... Um, it's MLS Assist, um, and you can find it, um, I'm pretty sure, everywhere that you can find podcasts. So just search for MLS Assist, hit subscribe, and you will not be disappointed because tactical analysis will be coming your way. That's <laughs> sort of, right. You're the hype man, Daryl. Uh, yeah, I've done, the, I've done the plugging. You're supposed to do the plugging when you, when you come <laughs> on and guest, right? We've got, we've got this all backwards. Um, <laughs> next, next time we have you on, Joe, we'll get, we'll get you to do the plugging instead. Because that, that is one of the big things is now that MLS Assist is its own thing, I think... In my head, at least, it frees you up to just to be a Total Soccer Show guest now and again to just come on and uh, and uh, you know join us as a guest. It's fun to be a guest. It's also a little more relaxed. I think there's fewer things going on in my head than trying to host and analyze at the same time. It's yeah. a little more. Maybe it's just because I'm still getting used to that, and it feels more normal for you at this point. I'm sure after doing this for so long. <laughs> but it's nice just to sort of sit back and, and answer questions that are fun and things that I like to talk about too. So I'm always happy and enjoy coming on, and thankful for when you guys have me. We're always happy to have you. So thank you, Joe, for taking the time to talk to me today. Absolutely, Daryl. Thank you. And listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll be back again with more Total Soccer Show.